We decided to extend our stay in Central City, keeping an eye on the nascent Flash family. The rogues gallery had grown over the past years, but there was still a key player missing. Someone who could keep pace with the Flash. Someone who would be obsessed with the Flash mythos. It was time to introduce Reverse Flash. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. Speaking of reversible finishes and so many starts, we're talking about the Flash again. And... <sighs> Boy, okay. So, a couple things that, are gonna, that we're going to be talking about in the year of 1963 for the Flash. One is a new appearance in the Silver Age, or a first appearance in the Silver Age, even though he appeared in the Golden Age. And one is a first ever appearance of my second favorite villain in all of comics. But it's not really him, kind of, sort of. We're going to talk about that. Um, but a lot of time travel, a lot of fun uh, interdimensional hopping, because it is the Flash, and we can have that sort of sci-fi angle moving about, because John Broom is able to really kind of do that effortlessly with this character, in a way that Superman comics feel forced or performative, <laughs> Flash comics feel cleverly woven. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna go into that. Um, and Joanne, yes, we've we've been we've been prepped. We know what we're kind of doing. A couple of Kid Flash things, fun fun new uh, wardrobe change for Kid Flash. Um, I'm dealing with a little bit of a cold. Matt, you're a teensy bit sick. Yeah. Maybe a little bit. A little, little bit better. But we're, we're, we'll try and get through this and be as coherent as possible uh, with the drugs that we're on. Uh, we're going to start with The Flash, number 134, February 1963. The Elongated Man. Hey, Ralph, he's just around. Remember when we said we were going to cover The Elongated Man and then we didn't because he's just in Flash comics. There's no need right now. The Elongated Man and Flash fight Captain Cold, who has broken out of prison to impress... Miss Twist, who I guess the equivalent would be like one of the finalists on Dancing with the Stars. Huh. Um, yeah, good comparison. She's just a famous dancer in television, I assume. I don't know if Rowan and Martin's laughing is happening right now, so maybe, maybe that's what's going on. I'm um, sorry, what? That, that is an old reference. Some of you know what that means. I will not explain that. I want you to Google Rowan and Martin's laughing and uh, the phrase sock it to me. And watch Richard Nixon say "sock it to me" on television. I um, I have an awareness of what that means, and I'm having difficulty imagining Tricky Dick saying that. Yeah, no, it's a whole thing. I okay, no, I have to Google this now because the internet is in the palm of my hand. Um, when did it start? 1967. No, so this is before 19. This is before Ronan Martin's laughing. So Miss Twist is just a famous dancer woman. Um, and Iris makes a note that uh, Captain Cold must have a cold heart and is very fickle because remember that last time he showed up, he tried to propose to Iris, and now he's just got the hots for Miss Twist. It's weird that Captain Cold is like just girl crazy. It's a new, it's a new thing for him. Um, second story in 1963, or rather, 1963 issue number 134. Barry meets Iris's dad for the first time. Uh, I don't know if we've ever been given this information because we meet a lot of dads of female love interests in these comics. Uh, Gene Loring's dad we met very early on, and he was also important. It's Iris's dad is like a nuclear scientist. You put it that way. He's very fancy pants smart. Um, nutty professor kind of a thing, absent-minded, a little bit weird and dodgy, but he's a nice guy overall. Um, he gets kidnapped by some villains who want him to help them make this weapon work 
he does because they also kidnap Barry at the same time. Barry is trying to keep it low-key that he's the Flash, so her dad agrees to do this, but then Barry uses his Flash abilities to, you know, get them all uh, in jail and get her dad to safety. Weird thing, uh, in this issue specifically. Yeah. Barry and Iris refer to each other as just good friends, not fiancé. Like, they're hiding it from her dad. I don't know why. It feels very strange. Because her dad is talking, he has a very specific conversation, like, what are your intentions with my daughter? And and Barry's like, oh, I gotta tell him that, like, we're just we're just cool friends. And it's like, you're very clearly more than that. You're engaged. Does he not know this? That will get retconned three issues from now as to the two of them being engaged again and not just good friends. It's very strange how this issue specifically, though, points that out. Honestly, it felt like, as stupid as this sounds, like, it's... It sounds like the writers decided that just good friends was equivalent to don't worry, we're not having sex before marriage. That's just oh, like, you know, you might be I, right. I don't know you whether might, those you might be right. like implications were different. I would be surprised if so. It's sure like seems like it's it is described as though don't worry, we're just friends. And there's no like there are no terms of affection in that uh particular story that i can think of that feel like boyfriend girlfriend there's no like play names yeah. well but... that's the thing too is, is is barry and iris never refer to each other as honey or dear or mm. darling so it's very ambiguous what their actual i mean it's it, it's it is and it isn't because they had we had that moment um earlier in the series when Bar- when iris called off their engagement because she was pissed off at barry and then she brought it back on i had like maybe maybe to your point yes they are doing the they're not having sex before marriage or maybe it's they keep going on and off maybe maybe they just keep fucking up and they keep calling it off and and getting back on it again or not i i i like that idea where they are just indecisive all the time it's Um, very ross rachel that's yeah that's my my no prize explanation is they keep calling it on and off uh we're gonna move on to the flash number 135 march 1963 kid flash gets a new costume as the flash accidentally uses a mind over matter machine and thinks about a new costume for Kid Flash in his head and then it turns out that Flash's Kid Flash's new costume changes. Um, he gets the classic yellow and red costume that we all know and love um, that we see Wally West wearing in Young Justice and in uh, Teen Titans and stuff like that. So he no longer looks like just a tiny Barry Allen, um, which was always kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. So he has his own unique costume. So he stands out like the rest of the sidekicks do. Um, but in meanwhile, this mind over matter machine and a couple other machines were sent to our dimension by a group of humans in the, I don't know, 16th dimension, let's say, I guess they, that was the background they said that they were from, um, who are trying to warn us about an invasion from their dimension. We stopped them with the help of a young girl who becomes Wally's pen pal in another dimension. Pen pal, not girlfriend. Pen pal. Very specific about that because remember, no one in comics has sex. Um... And also, Wally's 13, 14, maybe, give or take. We're not going to talk about it. Um, One thing I wonder, like, age-wise, whether the new costume is going to wind up uh, with Infantino drawing him looking a little bit older. One thing hmm. that always feels a little bit weird about the the older, like, the, the traditional Flash costume on a kid is that because it's form fitting around the skull like it looked with a like a child's proportions it looks more baby-ish uh yeah that, 
it just kind of has that inference. And I wonder now that we're getting, um, for those who don't know, uh, the classic kid flash costume is open headed. Uh, so yeah, you can see his you, hair. Yep. And I wonder to what degree we're going to get, uh, if he does like the unrobin thing, I guess, of yeah. going from looking like a like ten year old to looking like sixteen. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I have to look at Green Green Arrow comics again more mm-hmm. thoroughly because I wonder if Roy is drawn a certain way. Because I can't recall specifically how Roy is drawn because Roy is always written as older. Mm-hmm. Than the rest of the sidekicks. We'll get to that when we get to it, but I'm I'm curious to see because also that artist is different. Yeah. Um, I'm just having flashbacks to that one Superman comic way back in the day where the kids on Skid Row. Yeah, the kids on Skid Row that look like Stevedores. That was weird. Um <laughs> also just a point to note here, all of what Wally does is nonviolent. He pushes and shoves. He never punches, which is very mm-hmm. different from Robin and very different from Roy. Um, it's very uh, Aqualad. Huh. It's very Garth. Both of them do very non-violent uh, means of resolution versus Roy and Dick are physical. Just an observation I made through the art that I've seen. Wally is very definitely pushing people and never throwing a punch. I don't know huh. why. I don't know if that's indicative of certain mandates or editorial decisions or just a writer's choice, because John Broom could have a specific way of thinking about that. I don't know. Um, just a thing to note that we have two sidekicks on either side of the spectrum of being nonviolent, happy-go-lucky, and two who are aggressive crime fighters. Um, mind you, Roy is not like socking dudes, but he is also shooting arrows at people, so eh, violent. It's He's using a weapon. I digress, though. Um, the Flash, number 136, May 1963. Mirror Master. You remember Sam Scudder, the Mirror Master, the guy who can do weird things with mirrors and teleport into them into that mirror dimension that's full of ladies that he doesn't want to be in? Seems like a bad choice. I forgot uh, about that. I didn't, because it was weird as shit. Um, <laughs> mirror, you got yeah, your Mirror Master. Man in my Silver Age comics. Yeah, man, come on. That's literally what I'm here for in this podcast. I do that. I do those callbacks out of thin air, and you do all the research. Um Mirror Master breaks out of jail uh, to prove that uh, he's the best rogue of Flash's gallery because the prison newspaper has put him lower in the rankings and he just won't stand for that. It's literally the reason that he breaks out of jail. I wonder if he had stayed number one for the rest of the time, he would have just stayed in the big house and just been like, yeah, I'm the king. I am the king of criminals. We'll never know um, because when he breaks out, obviously he gets caught again and he gets put back in jail and he goes further down the rankings because he lost to the Flash recently. Second story in 136. Barry must prevent a criminal from revealing his secret identity because the guy used a hypnotic power on him uh, during a case that he was uh, a witness in as the Flash and told the Flash, you know, come see me when I get out of prison and I will know who your secret identity is. And Barry shows up as Barry. (laughs) And he's like, good, cool, I know you're the Flash. And Barry and Iris are doing a charity thing across town and Barry realizes that he can stop the guy. So in the split second between their charity gimmick, he stops the guy and goes back on stage. And everybody goes, the Flash can't be Barry Allen. We saw him the whole time on stage. And the guy's like, shit, Barry Allen must have been in the gallery and I must have accidentally aimed at him and not the Flash. Even though, I don't know, a super blonde dude with a bow tie sitting behind the Flash could have been really obvious. But we're not going to talk about that. Uh, that guy retcons his own scheme in a weird way. 
Um, the Flash, number 137, June 1963, Barry teams up with uh, Jay Garrick, the Golden Age Flash on Earth 2, because the Justice Society of America members, the Adam, Dr. Midnight, uh, those fun folks, you remember, Golden Age, we have whole episodes about them, go listen to those, give us more clicks, um, they are being kidnapped and abducted and brought elsewhere due to strange lights in the sky. The person behind this is Vandal Savage. Some of you might be familiar with the name of that character from the Arrow television show, from numerous uh, animated series and animated movies in the DC network, um, or just comics in general. Vandal Savage is the immortal bad guy of DC comics. We're not talking about Cruelly Eternal. Now, there are two super old immortal cavemen characters in DC comics. You have Vandal Savage and Cruelly Eternal. Cruelly Eternal is Vandal Savage light. Cruelly Eternal is an ever-living caveman who went throughout history and never stopped looking like a Cro-Magnon caveman with big old tusk teeth. Vandal Savage, somehow, as a caveman, got immortal powers, uh, sometimes from a meteor that he bathed in the radiation of, sometimes from other things. It's not really that important right now. We'll get to that later. Vandal Savage somehow looks like a normal man, even though he's a cave person from, from long ago. So Vandal Savage has caveman passing privileges. <laughs> uh, we're gonna, huh. just gonna slightly say that he looks normal enough that passing on the street, you're not gonna say, that guy looks like a caveman. Mm-hmm. Um, he just does. Vandal Savage is also the guy who apparently was a pharaoh, apparently was also a Tilda Hun, um, was advisors to an advisor to Napoleon, an advisor to the Kaiser. Um, every trope of an immortal man being somebody famous in history came from Vandal Savage. Like, we'll say that in comics. I'm not sure if in literature there was a similar character. But for comics, Vandal Savage was kind of the first character to ever have that trope. Because Rosal Ghoul doesn't exist yet. Um, if you want to see Vandal Savage storylines, go watch uh, Legends of Tomorrow. He's one of the main villains in Legends of Tomorrow and a uh, Green Arrow and Flash crossover for the CW network. Anyway, Vandal Savage is behind capturing all the JSA members um, and uh, Flash and Flash stop him. And it's great. This issue comes before the Crisis on Earth 2 storyline. So this is the first time the JSA meets Jay Garrick's Earth 1 counterpart. Just a little bit of a clarification here because we're kind of working backwards. Um, but this is a cool moment where they're like, hey, Jay, you have that guy who lives on the other planet. We're having some problems on Earth, too. Let's go call his buddies. Bottom line, Flash and Flash beat Vandal Savage. It's great. It's a good issue. It's full 24 pages. It's actually really fun. Um, art's really great in it. I was a big fan of this. The cover was dope, because uh, Vandal Savage uses, like, a machine to get both of the Flashes to fight each other, and it's, like, a really cool you know jay garrick and barry allen fighting scene while like vandal savage is in the background it's good it's a good cover great great issue um flash number 138 august 1963 uh the pied piper has a pipe that has two two flutes on it and he uses them to control both the flash and the elongated man to either get them to commit crimes or to fight each other so they don't stop him from committing crimes that's the story uh spoiler he loses um Second story in that issue, Kid Flash saves uh, an old stage actor from being manipulated into causing a distraction for some guys who want to rob some stuff, and uh, that's sweet and delightful and lighthearted. 
Uh, the guy is almost going to get arrested for reciting uh, plays in public because apparently Blue Valley has an ordinance that says you can't orate in public. I don't know. Maybe it's, they had a problem with buskers at some point. I don't know. <laughs> I I continually have issues with the ideas of free speech zones. Yeah. Uh, the Flash, number 139, September 1963. Uh, a time capsule from Earth-1 is sent into the future in the time capsules, a bunch of fashion and movies and music and all the things that you think uh, would be in a time capsule, including an atomic clock and one of the Flash's uniforms. That's neat. Um, unfortunately, the guy who sent the time capsule into the future was like, hey, so like when I did that, I turned the atomic clock into an atomic bomb because time travel's weird, and I have a whole I have a whole thing about time travel, and I'm not going to talk about it in this issue, <laughs> in, this, in this episode. Ah, oh, I said it, drinks are on me. Mm. I'm not going to talk about it in this episode. Uh, because I could talk forever on time travel and comics, and when we get to hypertime, <laughs> buckle up. Regardless, uh, time travel sucks, and uh, it's fun when it works, and it's not when it's when it doesn't. Um, so, when the atomic clock gets turned into an atomic bomb and goes in the future, the scientist goes like, "Hey, Flash, can you like stop that from killing everybody in the future?" And he's like, "I could try." I'll use the cosmic treadmill, because that's a thing that I have, and I'll go into the future, and I'll try and stop this. Meanwhile, in the 25th century, um, a guy finds the crashed time capsule and finds the Flash's suit, and he's like, this is great, because my thing is that I'm a huge fan, not really, I hate the Flash, but I'm like a big Flash nut, and uh, I want to get the Flash's powers, and I wonder if I can use science from the 25th century to get his powers to come out of his suit so that I can have his powers when I wear the suit. Not give myself the powers, just have the powers when I wear the suit. Important distinction. This guy does this, turns the costume yellow and red instead of red and yellow, and refers to himself as the Reverse Flash. Some of you may be familiar with that name. He is an unnamed bad guy. They never give his name. Hmm. It is never said. I had to double, triple check that he never says his name. And he just goes around the 25th century committing crimes. Flash, meanwhile, shows up in the 25th century, stops this guy from doing stuff, but he's like, holy shit, you got my powers, this is super weird. Finds a way to stop him. And then uh, stops the atomic bomb from exploding and saves the day. Goes back in time, in time to be on a date with Iris. Um, that's a big deal. Reverse Flash showing up for the first time ever, and it's not even, like, actually the reverse Flash. It's very disappointing for me, personally, because I am a huge Reverse Flash fan. Um, but it's fascinating to see how they kind of, like, tried to do that. Because the first Reverse Flash was in the last issue of Flash with Jay Garrick. It was a guy who was also very fast that was making Jay look bad. That was the last issue of Flash before the comics code hit, Flash comics stopped, and then we went and we got Barry Allen later. Um, reverse Flash has all of Flash's powers, Minus the fact that they don't reside in his body. They reside in the suit. He's not technically evil. He's just a douche. Like, he's just a criminal. Like, he's not hell-bent on destroying the Flash. He's not obsessed with him. He just wants the Flash's powers. And he gets them. And then he does crimes with them. Kind of lackluster for the first appearance of what is presumably Zoom. Mm -hmm. But not so much because he's not named. He, he does... Uh, say that he had been given like the nickname of the professor and like I think the the phrase uh, Professor Zoom does 
come in there yeah. at some point. But but he never he never name drops he never name drops himself as Eobard Thawne. Yes, one hundred percent. That is not in there. Yeah. So some guy, some nameless Professor Zoom man. Um, we're gonna move on to the Flash number one forty, November nineteen sixty three. Captain Cold and Heatwave. First appearance of Heatwave, um, who is a guy who has a fire gun. With Captain Cold, it is a guy who has an ice gun. Uh, real, real imaginative villains here. Um, I mean, the top spins. What do you want from from John Broom? Leave him alone. My parents He's hard. got a, a bonded pair of cats when before I was born. And they named them Red Kitty and Blue Kitty after the color of their collars. I am in no position to judge naming. There you go. I mean, look, he gave us Gorilla Grodd. Leave him yes. alone. John Broom's tired. He exhausted all of his energy on, on Gorilla Grodd. Leave him alone. He's got great characters. Who we don't um, see in these issues, and it makes me sad. Nah, well, he's in jail, remember? Yeah. Captain Cold and Heatwave compete for the affections of Dream Girl, who is just a TV personality. Um, and they're fighting each other like they usually do in the comics. Uh, but this is the first appearance of them, so this is the first time we see their their rivalry. Um, Dream Girl is just a gal on TV who is a TV personality, and Barry is interested in her because she might be the long-lost relative of somebody who's going to get an inheritance. And so Barry, is, as the Flash, has been tasked with trying to find this kid who will lose their inheritance um, at the stroke of midnight. It's stupid. There's no reason for, for the Flash to be doing this. He has no skin in the game, and there's no reason... Like, this person isn't, a, like a diplomat it's just some wealthy lawyer is like can you find the person that this inheritance is going to flash he's like yeah i guess uh psych it's dream girl and um both heatwave and captain cold have no idea that this is the case they just want to date her and flash beats the both of them and then takes dream girl to the lawyer she gets her money and then she gives half of it to charity she is a dream girl after all um second story there's a metal eating gas being that attacks the flash it's just a, just a gas monster that eats metal. Barry kills it. <laughs> like, he he makes its molecules vibrate so fast that it disappears. He kills it. Yeah, you are 100% like, correct on that. So, you know, body count for Barry Allen. Look at you, Barry, keeping it strong, being the most murdering son of a gun in the Silver Age. Good for you. Uh, Flash number 141, last issue we're going to cover, December 1963. Flash tries to track the top-down... Via his tailor. Because apparently there's a guy in town who has been outfitting all of the Flash's rogues. And Flash finds out about it. And he's like, this is an easy way for me to track people. Um, and he finds the top and he beats him, of course, because he's the Flash. And look how not awesome the top is. Um, final story. Uh, Iris's dad tries to prove that Barry is the Flash and by the use of watches um, in relative time. And Einstein's relativity theory. Um, it doesn't work. But he was close. He, he, he was correct that every time Barry runs as the Flash, time slows down for him, so his watch is always off, which kind of explains why he's always late everywhere. But once Barry realizes that's what he's doing, he fixes his watch every time he goes back to normal speed and <laughs> makes, his, makes Iris' dad look kind of silly. Um, that's the end of what we're covering. I think we went over all the points that I had to, to bring up during the course of these uh, issues. Again... Lackluster appearance for Professor Zoom. It wasn't like Sinestro. It's mm-hmm. not like Sinestro's appearance where it was like you can tell he's going to be a big bad. He's just a guy in this. Um, less threatening than Gorilla Grodd. He's just another crook. Cool Vandal Savage issue. 
Loved that. That was really great. Good Earth 2 moment. Um, the first appearance of Heatwave. And Wally gets his new suit. Cool stuff. They cr- they crammed a lot into six issues, or six or seven issues in this year. It was, And some of them were very fun. Some of them were very stock standard rogues gallery. I have a, a pipe that controls two different people at the same time. Um, very silly flash villain stuff, but also at the same time, you had some really interesting, like the Vandal Savage issue is really cool. The Even the Professor Zoom one, while Zoom is not really that cool, the issue itself is kind of interesting and neat, and it's, an inter- and it's a cool little bit. The uh, issue where Wally gets his new suit is a full issue of trying to stop this invasion. Also really great. Some some definite hits this year, but also some just like, okay, kind of stuff. Uh, but at the end of it, by the way, uh, Barry and Iris are labeled as fiancés and engaged again. So they're, they're back on, folks, in case you were curious about the wedding of the century. Every reversible fian- fiancism? Every, every reversible engagement. Mm. Come on, man. <laughs> All right. First off, key question. Uh, does the tailor come back? Is the tailor an anime you know, recurring know. character? That's a good question. I kind of want to figure that out now. It seemed like he would be the kind of character that would exist in the modern era as part of the support staff for the rogues gallery. I guess that's a that's a that's a Jeff Johns character if I've ever seen one. Yeah. Um, oh, you, you know oh, shit. I think this is where I got mixed up. I think I think there is an equivalent character in bendis's run on something that feels like an ultimate spider-man character mm. but maybe the tinkerer that that idea of the person who makes the costumes exists around and about and i know i've read that character somewhere in marvel or dc but for life of me i can't remember villainous couture is always an important thing to have and i think that's something that should be strived for and then with zoom one thing that stood out to me that I don't know whether this is still the case in the future. I don't know whether there's this nice little mirroring that I'm about to describe. But in this version, so first off, we have Barry Allen, who when we first were introduced to him, like talked about, oh, I have these super speeds like The Flash, who I, whose comics I read growing up. Uh, and so I will model myself after Jay Garrick, uh, because I read his comics and now we have zoom who grew up on the history of Barry Allen. And so is Mm. modeling himself as the reverse flash. So there's a nice little bit of mirroring there that creep me if I'm wrong, probably gets lost in the future because I don't think Barry Allen in modern continuity was inspired by Jay Garrick in any way. Is that the case? Or uh, to my knowledge, no. So the the Earth One folks reading Earth Two comics. God, I hate it so much. <laughs> I was gonna say, um, like, are we gonna make it through this moment without remembering how much you hate it? <laughs> yeah. Um is is never a thing brought up again to my to my knowledge. That okay. seems to be a silver age a silver age convention that was used to ease readers into the idea that these characters existed before to my knowledge that has never become a thing again that being said barry specifically the flash in general as a concept is studied and idolized 
in Flash continuity. They had the Flash Museum. Mm. They have Flash studies later in the future, which is usually how Zoom is introduced in the future as a guy who studies the Flash and becomes obsessed with the Speed Force and obsessed with Barry Allen. This is kind of a less rich version of that. It is just a guy who hates the Flash and wants his powers as opposed to Eobard Thawne in the comics who is a an obsessive stalker essentially um with the ability to travel through time and has the speed force um and he is obsessed with barry allen to the point where he just goes i need you to be the greatest hero of all time so i'm going to do crap to you to make you the greatest mm-hmm. that's my favorite version of eobard thawne of course there's the professor zoom like i am going to have all the speed force like you know mustache twirling you know 1960s villain eobard thawne the best one is the one that is a creep that is absolutely obsessed and insane and, and slightly unhinged as opposed to, uh, I'm professor zoom. The point is these guys get retconned a lot. That being said, I'm sure we'll have different versions of them once final crisis hits or infinite crisis on infinite earths or blah, 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 yeah, any number of consolidation and expand the, the, the DC, the accordion that is the DC universe that just grows and contracts and goes and contracts as they see fit. Because it's like, oh, it's a multiverse. Now it's just one. Oh, now it's 52. And now it's just kind of not that many. And now it's it doesn't matter. Bottom line is, they're going to retcon everybody a bunch anyway. These current iterations are not the best. But they're fun to see the, the groundwork and the foundation again. This version of Zoom is disappointing because he's not like the version of Sinestra that we have that is very clearly the one that inspires the version of Sinestra that we currently have. This version of Zoom is just a crook with speed force powers. Definitely like reading through it, it felt more alpha version than beta version, I guess. Yeah, it, it was It was not the demo you give out at E3. This is, <laughs> this is proof of concept. Mm-hmm. One thing that's worth noting at the outset of all of this is that at this stage, Flash especially, as as the comic that rings in the Silver Age, quote-unquote, uh, I mean, there are, we've sort of talked about how it's, some for some of the characters, it's hard to find the dividing line between Silver Age and uh, Golden Age. Uh, specifically with like Aquaman and Superman and Batman, uh, I think I think we use the term like Electromage or something. I don't remember. I had a I had a I had a medal that I said and I don't remember what it was. So Electrum was the was the was what you said. Yes, oh, excellent. <laughs> so another news. I'm amazing. Uh, yeah. But the other side of that is that then we are at the stage right now where we're more than four years in by the end of this to uh, frequent Flash comics and 36 issues. Uh, and that's just Flash. That's not even me looking at uh, like the showcase appearances and then the time delay between that and the start of Flash comics picking up again. What I mean by that is we're not in the wild west anymore these are comics that have had relatively stable uh creative teams and have had time to sort not necessarily build a formula per se but 
these stories aren't hugely different than thing than what we covered uh in the last episode uh really i think the biggest changes that we've seen since the very early days of silver age flash is we've added in kid flash and elongated man uh this batch is reducing the amount of monsters there's only a single like monster enemy in these entire seven issues Uh, and it was a cold barrage from captain cold Yep. So it wasn't even like a real kaiju monster. It was a it was a fake monster. I was I was thinking about the uh, metal eating monster. Yeah, you're right. I counted that as a sentient creature or a sentient being. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right that 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 is the only like not a faceless and or ambiguous creature. Mm-hmm. Um, you're absolutely right. And even even a little more than that, like we don't even have Grodd. Like Grodd doesn't show up in these stories, which makes me sad. Uh, but. Almost exclusively, he is facing, like, still sciency interdimensional threats, but they're humanoid. And first off, one of, one of the things that's interesting about that is that uh, I think it, we wind up getting less gimmicky stories as a result because it's less flights of fancy of what weird like alien bullshit can we throw here, uh, but more per, more relevantly more uh pertinent to this specific line of thinking there's just a a lot of the things i'm about to touch on we've sort of talked about a little bit in the past they're continuations of trends rather than reinventions so right heads up uh the first one and this was the thing that i walked away from the strongest is I am still so impressed with how Infantino draws Barry, especially like there's one or two panels every issue that is just like a pose. Uh, Over this past weekend, uh, Rebecca and I went to see Cirque du Soleil and it loosely based on uh, The Tempest, but really an anthology of different acts and a lot of really impressive like acrobatics specifically there was one moment where a character is being or a person let's be clear it's the person that's impressed me in this moment is being lifted away uh they've got like one of the like a bar or a thing to grab onto that the person is grabbed guys grabbed onto and is being lifted away and there was a moment as he was being lifted away like posing a little bit like holding himself in a way rather than just like uh sort of being limp and just being lifted but posing being lifted silhouetted against a dark backdrop he is the only thing lit up by a spotlight so you get the like all of the musculature is just uh, bright lights and so all the curves are in shadow and that is the way that Infantino draws Barry Allen. Hmm. Partly because uh, this is a character in skin-tight clothing, which, thinking it through, there really aren't too many other characters who are like that with Barry Allen's build. Uh, you have, like, Adam Strange is kind of that a little more realistic kind of proportions whereas like batman and superman are built like brick houses in the way they're drawn uh 
but also so it's sort of that combination of here's a character who is being depicted as having like an acrobat's build and in a skin tight suit so on the one hand infantino does that and he does it well but also there are just these specific shots once or twice an issue where it is a snapshot of motion and it feels like either that uh Cirque du Soleil moment that I described or the way that like neoclassicist uh neo- neoclassical uh sculpture like uh the Pieta and David uh they look like there's momentum going on like David looks like he just tilted over to look over his shoulder a little bit. It it looks like that mom, that force, like that vector arrow, is still in play. Even if it's not moving, it's like there's that counterbalanced against the the vector arrow that is keeping him standing upright. It it looks like a snapshot of motion, and that is what Carmen Infantino does so well in here, uh, almost a little gratuitously at points, but it's it's so different than anything else we see, and it reinforces that Flash is an acrobatic hero instead of a strength hero. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely say that. He, it makes him much more athletic. Mm-hmm. Less of a brawler, less of a bruiser, less of a muscular man, but he is an athlete. I always think of Flash as always being a wiry guy, but not in the sense that he's like, you know, thin and, and, and loose. Um, he's He's got a runner's body. That was what I liked about Ezra Miller and Grant Gustin's performances in as the Flash on the television show and the film, Justice League. They're thin guys. You know, they're thin, but they don't look like they're they're wasting away. Mm-hmm. Like they are believably fit for a guy who runs a bunch. And you can kind of tell that that is underneath the suit is a is a body, you know, and it's I, I've always enjoyed that when people draw Barry and or Wally or somebody like that correctly, thinner, more more understandably fit. That's a phrase that I think I'm going to remember that underneath the suit is a body because there are a lot of times where they get drawn as with a persona is the full thing. Uh, It's the Liefeld thing of you are big and bulky, uh, but you really do see the body under the suit for Barry. Yeah. Other than that, uh, one other thing. I again, I might have touched on this again previously in the past, but uh, the way that these stories take themselves seriously, sort of get my guard down a little bit, and more willing to be, more willing to accept things that are, in fact, a little bit campy and a little bit silly, uh, like the. The Mirror Master story where he breaks out of jail because he is not at the top of the list anymore for most impressive criminals. Like, that is incredibly just silly and gimmicky. And I can absolutely imagine, like, Joker doing that in this era of comics. But unlike Silver Age Batman Joker, 
there's a seriousness with which these stories treat their villains and their storylines that makes it so I'm I am more willing to be like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm on board. It's got the right amount of silly. It's got the right amount of seriousness. And part of that is because the villains they get this interiority, they get the time to reflect. It's villainous monologue not from a cackling perspective, but from like a reflective uh perspective. That it's a smoldering instead of a cackling. Yeah. Uh, and part of the reason that it has that effect is because first off, you've got these villains who have the these reflection times, uh, and the stories give them the space. Like they're I think I think I broke down like a number in the previous episode something like two pages of villain reflection per story more or less certainly feels that way something like that yeah yeah um and in addition to a that exists b the tone is a little more subdued c or three i think i went between letters and numbers anyways uh the way that those reflections are colored is interesting because they're often heavily shaded. Like when I think back on Captain Cold, like I think I remember him looking out over the city at night and hatching plans, uh, mirror master, like standing in the light, but like with the, a harsh light, like, coming down from on top of him down to the ground so there are shadows being cast uh there it's not just everything is super bright and they're reflecting in there it's a little more it's a little bit more batman the animated series than like the intro to that than like super friends intro it is intentionally a little bit darker in shades and colors used and part of that's yeah. also the, Carmine Infantino loves his shading. Yeah, well, the the, the tonality is different. Mm-hmm. It comes across as serious. You know, you can have, and I think that's part of it is, the tone is serious, but they are also talking about, and now I must build a top that will destroy the world. And you're <laughs> like, how did you deliver that line so sincerely? It's like making Liam Neeson talk about building a cold gun that can make cold mirages. And then you get Gary Oldman as the top going like, and this will spin so fast it will destroy the center of the planet. And you're like, yeah, yeah, it will. There's nothing weird about that. You're a, you're a dastardly mastermind. And it's it's the sincerity with which it is delivered and the seriousness with which it is taken versus like mm-hmm. the Riddler's at it again with those riddles. Boy, howdy. You know, it's like, he's, he's, a, he's a crazy person, Robin. You know, he must deliver the riddles. And it's like, yeah, the riddles are kind of played for laughs. They're not really taken seriously, which is what I liked about the Arkham Asylum games. Is that the Riddler was basically Saw from the Saw franchise. And I was like, yeah, that's how you make a guy who's obsessed with riddles fucking scary. Versus these characters are like, I mean, yeah, Captain Cold is probably the weakest of them because Captain Cold is trying to get with chicks the whole time. His, that seems to be his motive so far. But, you know, Mirror Master being super serious about being on the prison's number one criminal list is kind of goofy, but, like, 
you're 100% on board with this. And I kind of like that. One other thing that makes it easier to buy in is the there are a lot of intimate shots. Uh, and what I mean by that, if you've been listening for a while, way back when we first looked at Hal Jordan issues of Green Lantern, yeah. we talked about how much it felt like a romance comic. And I still think that's one of the best takeaways from this entire podcast. Uh, and one of the reasons was that so many of those panels were up close with the character. It's not like the classic uh, world's finest panel is like the like torso and up taking maybe half of the height of the panel and then ev- like maybe occupying an eighth of the real estate for a single character. Whereas here, a lot, especially when the villains are doing their little reflective moment, it's a lot of that up close, like almost at the level of uh, you see the chin and up of the character, and you're just in that close. Uh, Yeah. And it's hard not to get into that character's headspace or be in a reflective headspace when you're in that close. Yeah. And last but not least, uh, this is another instance of right enough science. Just a lot of these stories (laughs) are building flimsy justifications, but they're building justifications for, Oh, the way this thing turned out, uh, where it feels enough like foreshadowing, even if really the science is maybe a little bit bullshit, but it's like, you know what? All right. I'm that makes enough sense that I buy it. And they do the same thing with like dramatic pacing of this thing was revealed and now it comes full fruition. None of it is necessarily inspired, but it's accurate enough or grounded enough to be believable. Science adjacent. <laughs> That's a good word for it. Nice. Yeah. There's there's definitely some thought put into this, but no enough (laughs) and the one last thing that i'm going to bring up because i am fascinated and curious they call barry the monarch of motion a lot in this does that keep coming up because i i kind of like it but i also kind of don't but i kind (laughs) of like it i've never heard that anywhere else except these issues and it's hilarious to me because it's so dumb uh, but it's it's so perfect. It's such a Silver Age moniker. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the Emerald Gladiator. Yeah. Or the Emerald Archer. Or, you know, it's... it's. Yeah, man, of course he's the monarch of motion. <laughs> you know, it's like, of course, of course. You know, why wouldn't he be? It's so 60s. It works. But it's only okay in the 60s. Like, if a character said that to him now, it would be like they were, they were trying too hard. They were making fun of him if they called him the Monarch of Motion. It would be a Booster Gold title. Yeah. Um, didn't they call, like, Iris Nushin at one point? They referred to her as, like, his Nushin. And I was like, I what don't the even know what that is. That? Okay, no, but, like, I got a. F- I saw it and I thought I was having a stroke. Um, the term Nushin is used N E W S H E N. I don't know what it's It's in reference to Iris and Barry. Like, it's kind of like a term of, as like a possessive term. Like, instead of saying fiancé, they say nushin. If you know what that word means, let us know. Hmm. 
at me on Twitter. Help me. This is hurting my brain. Um, anyway, that's the last weird thing that I want to bring up about this series of issues. So do you want to move to recommendations? I think we are at that point. Um, on my end, I'm going to recommend mobile versions of board games. I am, I like playing around with, with board game systems, but I get annoyed with playing them with other people, in particular, if it's like, I don't, I haven't played this enough to understand it. Uh, and this is a game that we're both playing to win. I, or if nothing else, I certainly am playing to try to play optimally within the system and just not getting it. And it turns out that a digital version is really good to be able to just quickly play through things without needing to set up an entire session uh, with friends. But also a mobile version especially, there's just a casualness to it where I can just, if I'm waiting for something to um, to load on my computer, just... All right, I can just break this out uh, if we're sitting and watching YouTube. All right, I, I can do that. And I can still, it. I'm in a different mindset than when I have my laptop in front of me. If I have my laptop in front of me, it is very hard for me to break away from that uh, for like on and off conversation. Whereas if when I've got my phone, it's super easy for me to just be like, oh, just conversation, conversation, back to phone, conversation, conversation, back to phone. So in particular, I got... For seven bucks, I got a an Android version of Twilight Struggle, which is a spectacular Cold War game. I think for a long time it was rated by like Board Game Geek the best board game of all time. I think Gloomhaven knocked it off. I very much have enjoyed playing it this way, and especially with a long commute. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad. It's fun. It's always fun to see what board games have made it to that level of play. Like I, I have a, a computer version of Sentinels mm-hmm. of the Multiverse. So yeah, no, it's always fun to kind of see your favorite board games get put onto a situation where you don't have to, you know, find a group of people to play with and you can just pick up and go. Um, for me, I'm going to recommend The Mandalorian mm-hmm. if you haven't seen it. Uh, it's on Disney Plus. Uh, it's really good. It was better than I thought it was going to be. Um, there are a couple of things that a few people have pointed out to me that the show I'm sure unintentionally did, but just because it unintentionally did them doesn't mean that it wasn't not a good thing. Uh, it was pointed out to me that there are no women who speak in the first episode of the show. Doesn't seem like a big thing to some folks, but it's the idea that it was an unintentional thought that there was no speaking role for a woman. Now, mind you, Cara Dune, mm-hmm. great character, love Cara Dune. Um, it's, it's a good show. There are definitely there's definitely room for it to improve and to continue and to get better, but it is definitely worth watching. I would I really sincerely hope people do watch it. It's a fun western. Um, it's also just a fun exploration into the Star Wars universe. Um, like I said, I hope it continues to to improve and grow and get more more time to explore things that it didn't do quite well in the first time, and now it gets to do more. Um, yeah. It's a good show. I definitely recommend it. I loved I loved all the set design. It felt like watching an old Star Wars movie. It felt a lot like Rogue One, which was my favorite of the new Star Wars movies. Um, it's fun. It's a fun show. There's some really fun stuff in it. There's, there's a lot of levity at times that is needed, but it's also 
not just a, a super badass show. Like the Mandalorian isn't just like, you know, the best at everything automatically. He does struggle. He does have issues and he does need help at times, which is great. Yeah, it's very, very well done. It was interesting to watch that within the same block of time as The Witcher because The Witcher tried really hard to have A, both A plots and B plots in, in any given episode, sometimes C plots. And for a series that at least for the major chunks that it's sort of covering or that it's adapting is so focused on like the Western style. Uh, Geralt comes into town. There is a thing that happens. uh, And then Geralt leaves the town. Like I felt the Witcher didn't quite deliver on the promise of that episodic kind of western vignette feel as much as the mandalorian really really did yeah mandalorian is a series of short stories that all tie in together the witcher is a bunch of smaller journeys that tie into a larger journey Mm -hmm. purposefully they are all every everything is a part of the larger story versus there are some filler episodes in the mandalorian um, I haven't finished watching The Witcher, so I'm not recommending it this time. But when I do finish it, I'm sure I can recommend it. Um, I liked the first episode that I saw, mm. um, but I wanted to specifically plug The Mandalorian. Um, that'll do it for this episode. We're going to move on to the G's. So Green Arrow and Green Lantern are next. Um, thanks again for dealing with us, you know, slowly getting back up to speed after the new year. Holidays are rough. <laughs> Work is rough. We have, we were trying our very best to give you all of these free book reports that you so love um again uh we hope you've enjoyed the episode be good to each other we love you all and have a good night dc detectives can be found on soundcloud and itunes to stay in the know check out our facebook twitter and instagram while trips to the future to lackluster villains were now somewhat old hat for us we still enjoyed our time amongst the scarlet speedster and his sidekick Even Jay Garrick got in on the action. A bit of dimension hopping always did us some good. Still, it was time to move on. From red to green.